Hello, Stephen here, and thanks for listening as we look back at some of my favourite talking design episodes. Next on my list, I'd like to share an interview I did with Robert Simeone. He's an award-winning architect who I entrusted to renovate my own house, which took out numerous awards in 2019, including the Australian Institute of Architects Victorian Chapter Awards. When I mentioned to a few architects who I was planning to use for my renovation, they all remarked we'd also use Robert if we were designing our own home. He's an extremely talented and at the same time modest individual. From the very first season of Talking Design in 2011, I hope you enjoy my conversation with architect Robert Simeone. Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and welcome to Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. And I'm here with a very special architect, someone who I've followed for many, many years, Robert Simeone, architect Robert Simeone, who is an interesting one. He's been, look, he's been uh, winning awards for many years, but he also has a very gentle approach to to, to talking about to talking about architecture and he's wonderful with clients. I've, I've um, noticed the way he talks to uh, people and working out what they need. So welcome Robert to the show. Thank you Stephen, lovely uh, to be here. Thank it's, you. Um, it's a privilege to have you. Thank Maybe you. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, why you want to be an architect to start with. Um, well it's... Um I grew up, my father was a bricklayer and became a builder, so I grew up on um, holidays, weekends, every sort of moment on building sites with my dad, and I just loved it to death, and um, and the idea of creating buildings and being on site and seeing things being built was so exciting, so it just seemed a natural progression to want to be an architect, and that's really where it came from, and that's all I ever really wanted to do. Was there an architect along the way? Who you, a building that you went into and said, "Ah, oh, that's what right." And after no, th- that experience, I think there were a series of, of different buildings throughout Melbourne. But I think um, that that I'd found myself keep going back to for some reason, and particularly the the shrine, the um, shrine of remembrance, and something about the the sort of melancholy nature of the spaces and the building and. Um, the hidden space down in the crypt and being up on a balcony always intrigued me in the passage through the corridors. So it's probably one building I went back to a lot without realising why until a lot later. Okay. Yeah. So you studied architecture? You studied architecture at, at Melbourne, Melbourne University, yeah. And then I um, took some time off and whilst I was at Union, worked in Italy for about a year and a half, and then came back and... Um, Did you work with someone of note in Italy? Uh, no, it was a, a small firm called Pietro Bongerossi, which was in my dad's near my dad's town, so I lived with relatives and worked there, and that was fantastic. And then I came back and completed uni and won a scholarship and studied for a couple of years in Venice, and that was particularly under Aldo Rossi and Manfredo Tafuri at the time, so that was a, a wonderful time. What did you learn from that? Um... It was more about attitudes and ways of thinking about architecture than anything clearly um, denotable. It was just something about the way of looking at things that came across that I, I, um, I sort of really felt sort of immersed in it. 
So you set up your practice, when did you set it? About 10 years ago? Um, probably a bit longer than that. I, I came back to Melbourne, I worked for Alan Powell, and um, and then um, was teaching at RMIT and set up a practice at that time. So it's about sort of 12 years, so years ago. So. And now the practice does everything from small domestic projects to large commercial projects? Yeah, not that much commercial mm. projects. We do um, sort of mostly domestic work of varying scales from, you know, small to quite large. We um, do a range of institutional buildings, some school work, some church work, um, some commercial work. Um, we're just starting to do a little bit more commercial work now. So there's an interesting mix. Okay. A few buildings that stand out. Uh, for me over the years. One uh, was the um, Seaford Life Saving Club, mm. which was an interesting building, which I um, I, I thought was quite uh, magical. Tell me a little bit about that job and what has it done to the area? Um, it's really interesting because we won that um, through a, a national design competition and there were about 70 firms that entered. And um, there was a very strong community consultation process held after we won the competition about how to refine our ideas and make sure that it sat in line with community expectations. So we had quite a long period of um, consultation. And what we felt, what we found was, and, and I should note also that the council, Frankston City Council, were incredibly supportive of our work and what we were doing. And... Um, we found that um, the community was starting to accept the idea of a new building because the old building had been heavily vandalised, heavily graffitied. And what we found with the new building, there has been no vandalism and, and no graffiti. People have really accepted um, the idea of a new building and they, they really like it, it appears. And it's widely used and at different times of the year as well. So people who obviously haven't seen uh, the Life Saving Club, mm. it's it's a little collection of timber buildings, and there's the Life Saving Club with the observatory tower. Mm. There's a cafe. There's a community hall, and they're all linked by these lovely walkways that with wonderful uh, vistas to the sea, to the water ahead. Mm. Previously, there was a, just a red brick. There was just just a, an old brick, old brick building, which was really just a life-saving club. And we just thought it was such a wonderful site that you needed to open it up and in, engage with the horizon line of the bay and just the beautiful views of the foreshore. It's got quite a um, uh, an intact foreshore there that they're doing a lot of work to maintain and to encourage. So we just wanted more of that engagement. Uh, Robert, there's also just um, a few blocks down a new building by Jackson Clements Burrows, uh, a bowling club they've designed. How is that? How is architecture changing that area? Well, I think um, I think what it does do new buildings like that, which are, are keenly thought through and they engage with not just the idea of a beautiful building, but more about what the building is and how it is engaged with the environment and the place. I think I think people pick up on that and they, they appreciate that because they see it as being something that's important for the area and there's a lot of thought and and, and love and, and thought and, ki- and not kindness but um, appreciation of the area that's gone into it from outside and, and I think that's important. And as people see great buildings coming up, there's much more appreciation I think of there them. Is. Yeah. As you said, there's no vandalism and people start to have that sense of ownership. Yeah, and, and they, they they tend to sort of 
curate a little bit themselves the area and the buildings and mm. I think that's really important. They take a real strong sense of ownership and care for it. The other thing Robert, at your own house in uh, North Fitzroy that's right. uh, won several awards uh, including Victorian Chapter Award and a National Award as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, quite an interesting project and is almost a direction for how we're going to be living in the future. I mean, it's a small site, eight square metres. 80 square metres. 80 square metres. 80, 80 square metres. Eight, eight squares. squares yeah, eight squares. Yeah. Tiny. So it, was a, um, it was a car park lot for an existing factory next door and we were able, the developer was taken care of next door and we were able to buy this little lot off him and basically um, it, it's saving Grace is that it faces north over a park and so we were able to get some sort of lovely views and borrow that amenity so that being in the space feels like you're looking onto something quite special and um, and it's you know I built that house myself with my father um, and it's 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 only 65 square meters so um, which for people who don't know meterage it's probably the size of a small apartment or an average apartment now yeah well, if you think the old housing commission typical houses were you know 100 square meters this is you know uh, two-thirds the size of one of those so um what do people have to you know Expectations have to change, obviously. How is it? Land is very expensive now. Land's expensive. I think infrastructure is expensive. And I think it's about thinking about how you live in a space. So it's from the, from the more prosaic things like um, how you design joinery to act as storage, to act as somewhere to sit, um, how you deal with windows so that they actually become part of a space. I think now space for me is more about a container, a building, and it's more about the quality of space that's created and how you modulate that space. And I think small buildings need that sort of sense about them. Then it's also got to do with how you engage with neighbours. So we planted some fruit trees, they planted, so we swap our fruit and, and they're little things, but they actually, um, you live cheek by jowl and that sense of community being created through that is important. Um, I mean, the kitchen is not large. It's more of a food preparation area than a kitchen, but we live close to the market, so you sort of buy often and, you know, it's just a whole other way of looking at things. So. When you're looking at the larger houses that people are aspiring to now, often in the outer suburbs, and you see your place, which is almost diametrically opposed to you know this mm. approach, how do you react? How do, do you think people, you know, are actually looking at architecture clearly enough, or just you know this wish list just goes on and on and on, and we don't actually need half the things that I don't. I don't think we do. I think it's also often there's no sense of a quality of space about it. It's about how much space there is, or what the rooms are, and rather how much you can afford. How much you can afford, rather than what the quality and the multi-use potential is. Um, I think it's also got to do with um, you see these houses and they've all got to be air conditioned and um, heated and cooled whereas you know if you're thoughtful about cross ventilation and using spaces you can cut down on that it, it, it's across the board I think it's also got to do with the sensibility of living um, whether it's a family or a group of people in close um, proximity to one another that sense of um, of unison or that sense of connection that can be had when you maybe share rooms rather than having separate rooms. It's a whole other way of looking at living. So the idea of not every bedroom has to have an ensuite. And... Absolutely, yeah.
Mm. Uh, in terms of sustainability, the house has a lovely green wall, in a mm. sense, an exterior green wall that obviously reacts <laughs> yeah, to the seasons. Yeah, faces north, yeah. It's a hardened burgess, so it's a pretty hardy native plant. It's... Um, it's Deciduous? Effect- no, it's effectively evergreen, but it's quite... Um, it's quite open, much in the same way as a jacaranda or something. So it, it gives good shade, but good permeability of view as well. And and I like it because we wanted. I thought we needed large windows to be able to feel like you're looking out. But this way, it controls the sunlight in the summer quite well, and it's beautiful to look out even at the upper levels onto green. It also is important that it gives another layer from the street. I don't know if it's an Italian thing, but I like to have the sense of houses acting as a cocoon-like space. So I often try to create a number of layers between a public space and a private space, whether that's curtains or whether that's, in this case, um, planting. And I think that adds, they're all different layers that add to it. You often use curtains mm. in your um, houses. I've seen a few projects mm. now. There was a house... In Coburg, that's uh, right. There yeah. was a beautiful uh, extension, and you did very fine sheer curtains to separate rooms. And I've seen grand houses that you've done it also used curtains in a very poetic way. Mm. And a lot of architects really dismiss fabric uh, and aren't interested in any fabric at all in in houses. You know, they just have bare windows. How do you? I mean, you're also interested in fashion. You. Um, how, Textiles, obviously. Well, I think um, I think it comes back to this idea. Increasingly, for me, architecture is more about containment of space, and so for me, the curtains act as this way of, um, at, at a basic level, help to um, absorb sound, but they help to give a warmth or sensuality to the space. Mm-hmm. They help to give you a sense of enclosure and containment at the other time you open it up. I think it's a very cost-effective device. I think it's actually a very beautiful device to be able to use sort of spatially, and I I like it a lot. I don't see them so much as window coverings. I see them more as as like a sliding panel. It's a device to divide and contain space or open space. Now, I wouldn't want people to think that Robert Simeone only does small renovations with um, that are very bespoke. You also do some very grand houses, uh, grand not in the in the manner of pillars and pediments, but grand in the sense of scale. And you've mm. done a, a number of really grand homes. Mm. How difficult is it moving from a very small, intimate project like your own home, and then doing these very um, contemporary palatial homes? I um, I find myself creating little sort of, in a way, almost containing devices that help me to divide things up or to imply a, um, a framework to within work within. For example, a house we worked recently on in, in Brighton, which was a hundred square meter house. Sorry, thousand square meter house. Um, so that's in, for people who are trying to get an idea of, of uh, scale. That's probably about 15 times your own. That's right, yeah. So size that, house. That's right. So, you know, I, we use the idea of a courtyard to create an ordering device. So the spaces work around that. And I can break down the scale of the building in terms of pavilions around the courtyard. And I, I find myself constantly trying to break a scale down to work within each section comfortably and mm. think about overall dividing devices or a party and then work within each section. And um, and I think that's also important that 
it, perhaps it's not for me to say, but I do find these houses still maintain a sense of the human scale about them, and I think that helps me to do that. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Robert, are the challenges facing architects working today? Just some of the things that will become more prevalent. I think um, I think building is an interesting one because we're moving away from um, actually building um, where you have wet trays and mortar and things like that to an assemblage of prefabricated objects. So increasingly um, we're finding people and probably in the future will be less people with skills to do some of the work that we're used to working with now. I tend to find with builders we work more directly with them and talk to them about how we things to be and mm. I think probably um, this sort of engagement will will be less in the future. Um, so and you I think, think it's going to be more uh, factory driven? Not so much factory that- driven but more it's going to be people with um, assembling objects rather than building and I think there's a fundamental difference in the way you see the idea of creation of objects when you go down that path and I think... Um, I think that will be a big change, and I can't quite see how that will um, affect us as architects. So you, are you saying less craft in a sense? I think the I think the level of craft will be the same, but it will be a different form of craft, and I think it will be a much less immediate form of craft. It will be more perhaps through computer design where things are designed and then created on a CNC machine and put together. It will be less the, the artisan or the craftsman or the tradesman on site creating something and you dialoguing directly with them. It will be more perhaps in a factory where this thing is is made and then you put it together. I mean, that's still a long way away, but I think that's more and more what will happen. The other thing I was going to ask you, Robert, is um, you're interested in the broader design areas, and I know you've collaborated a number of times with the Melbourne-based uh, designer uh, team, uh, Material Byproduct. Mm-hmm. You created an installation for one of their shows yeah. where the models actually came out of a crate. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, how did that collaboration start? Well, we'd been doing a fair bit of thought with um, Susan DeMars in Chantal um, there, and, and we, this idea of a delivery of a of a new collection um, was that, well, this, this crate could be used again and again, and it could work as a, a delivery crate, it could work as a runway during the exhibition, it could also act as a framework for the exhibition itself whilst um, people were looking to buy it. So it was an exploration of really about how um, out of this small crate it would open up in many different ways through the use of folding screens and panels and uh, it was sort of a very interesting um, uh, collaboration and, um, and and also the idea of how things would be able to show themselves and um, be clear about their sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any more collaborations with them? We haven't for a little while. Um, I mean, I'd like mm. to continue doing it, and I, I hope that it'll be down a track. Something similar will come up again with them. Um, it's. Um, I, it was just. Um, uh, I think sometimes you have like-minded people come together with different interests. Apparently different interests, but actually a very similar interest. So I know that we continue that sort of level of interest in other areas. Mm. So, yeah. um, Robert, the other question I was going to ask you is that you know you are interested in the broader design areas. Do you think it's something that's becoming more common with architects, or is it just something that you're interested in? Pursuing? No, I think I think I think it is a broader interest. I think um, 
architects generally are becoming um, perhaps we always have been um, interested but we're becoming a little bit more outspoken a bit more confident about talking about things outside our immediate um, field of, of buildings and mm. space and I think that's got to do with sustainability perhaps um, we've got more of a voice at an urban level than we have before mm. and um, I think things like you know when you have blogs and web pages where people can show different ideas and people become aware of them it's a great method to for diffusion of thought and um i think that will will be so increasingly and i think things like the institute of architects now designing the new building i think you know that will have a profound effect on how we see the question of urbanity and building i think this is in exhibition street yeah i think um i think perhaps we're just becoming a little bit more outspoken in a positive way Uh, Robert, the other thing I was I was interested in, you've just um, you're about to start work on a, a new project, a new house in Kew. Are you able mm. to talk about that, or a bit early? Um, no, look, it's 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 a really interesting. You don't project. Have to mention the the street, but it's mm. just an interesting project because it's a significant um, uh, house design. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful house designed originally by Guilford Bell and built in the early eighties, and um, it's. I, I think it's a beautiful house to be in, and so the idea of, of adding to it is one where it's fraught with caution and and a mixture of sort of delight at the same time, and it's um, being very respectful of Guilford's um, design and his thought. It's very clear as in all his works, and so how do we, in in a sort of my way of thinking, sort of mesh with that, and um, it's it's fascinating. It's really interesting. Do and, you feel um, daunted when you? Um, you do feel daunted. Oh, I felt very daunted, and I needed to sit with it for a while to sort of try to understand the building and work out. Well, you know, how do we put our current day application and and clients' current day requirements overlay that onto what is quite a Spartan building without losing any of the quality of um, of Guilford's design. And um, it's 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 been a very sustaining project in the office because it's one of those jobs that you keep going back to with layers of interest and information and review. So um, we hope to start construction in the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. So, yeah. um, and... What's on the horizon apart from this? Um, look, we've got some interesting projects still going, which are really engaging. We're also working at the moment on the restoration and building of new areas at um, Abbotsford Chapel, and that, um, similarly to to the project we just mentioned, is um, really interesting. It's dealing with issues of um, borough charter and how do we restore a building faithfully and thoughtfully, whilst also new areas that have got a... Um, uh, a contemporary sort of approach and feel to them. So um, that will continue on into next year. So mm-hmm. we've got sort of a number of sort of projects such as those as well as residential projects that are keeping us interested and busy. What do you enjoy most about being an architect, Robert? Um, what gives you the most satisfaction at the end of the day? I um, I enjoy a lot the building process as well as the designing process. So for me, it's a, it sounds a little bit twee, but mm. I just enjoy the whole idea of being an architect from the um, idea of designing and looking at options and thinking it through to dealing with builders, engaging on site and um, and perhaps you know, fine-tuning and, and then to the finished sort of building to see it, how it sits and um, hopefully something that 
that fits within the, with the client's sort of expectations. So I think for me it's a, it's a whole thing. There's not one area in particular. Uh, Robert, look, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, sir. Um, it's a pleasure. It's always... I enjoy hearing what's what's coming up, mm. and it still gives me an enormous pleasure not only seeing your buildings but actually talking to you. So thanks, Robert. Thank you very much. And you've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University. Thanks again. Thank you.